what's your dream? Pick your pick your dream and pick your course. That that's why. How can a set of skills lead you down the path to success? That's what we're setting out to answer on the Ed Up Canada podcast. I'm your host, Michael Sangster. Join me as we unpack how leaders around the world have taken training and skills and turned that into a lasting career. Now let's learn together. Hello, everybody. It's Michael Sangster. Welcome back to the Ed Up Canada podcast, where we come together to learn a little. So if we're going to do that, we're going to learn a little. I thought the best guest we could bring forward today was Ari Laskin, the CEO of Career Colleges Ontario. Ari and I work together on a daily basis. He's the former chief of staff to the Minister of Advanced Education in Ontario, has been active in the Ontario Ford government for the last couple of years, but has also become a, a good friend and a good advisor to me on different issues that we're working on together on a daily basis. But I want to have a conversation with him, not about work. Well, I'm sure we'll wander into a couple of issues around work, but more about some of the lessons he's learned in his life. As we've talked about on this podcast, it's about upping your skills, looking at different ways that you can do things and, and learning lessons from people who've been successful. So Ari's been very successful. So Ari, you're the CEO of Career Colleges Ontario. So you see a lot of successful people in your day-to-day basis. You've worked with them in different roles that you've had. I'm interested in what you think is a skill set that is underrated or undervalued, but critical to success in careers. Yeah, thanks so much, Michael. And thanks so much for having me on, on the air today. Um, it, it's a question that I get asked a lot as what skill do you look for in in a leader what skill is sort of sets out uh uh that that's going to lead to a successful uh career path for you and i'll be honest with you listening um most of the time during meetings and and uh conversations that we have uh i spend most of my time not talking but taking notes and listening to what other people have to say uh it, it's such an understated skill these days that people are more interested in talking and hearing what their own opinions are, that they're not so interested in sort of shutting up and listening to what other people have to say. You pair that with something that's so intrinsically related to that listening skill, it's being able to communicate what their ideas are back in a constructive way that takes other people's opinions and can you can formulate that into a real coherent thought. So I think that's something that to be honest, I'd love to see more people listening to one another. No, nothing like a career in politics to to see, you know, coherent, uh, great communications and, and messaging, as we both know. And that, that, there's, there's <laughs> no, no skill that gets used better in our country, is there? Oh, tell, I'll tell you about it. Like, uh, I, I started off my career in the communications world, in the political world, and it is one of the things that I actually learned from just watching some of the more senior people is during meetings, they weren't the ones raising their hands so much. They were the ones that are sitting back and taking in all of that information, making copious notes, and then coming back at the end of the day and saying, you know what I heard today? This, this, and this. Maybe we can put all these ideas together. Uh, so while there's a lot of talking in politics, that's for sure, uh, on the staff side, I, I think that you're seeing a lot more listening than talking. One of the best men- mentors I ever had was a guy by the name of Mike Robinson. We sat on the uh, uh, National Executive of the Liberal Party of Canada. We became close friends. We lost him a couple of years ago, but 
He always reminded me, watch out for the people in the back of the room taking notes because they're the ones who left the room and made decisions. Uh, there's a lot of truth to that comment. Yep. There's a lot of truth to that comment. Yeah, a lot of bravado at the front of the room, a lot of decisions being made at the back of the room. And I looked to the back of the room and there was a gentleman there named Eddie Goldenberg who worked for the Prime Minister of Canada and he would leave the room and make decisions, but he didn't say much when we were in the room. So that is a really, really good segue into, in, into where we're going here today. Uh, that is really good advice to people. And one of the things that career colleges do well that we both work with is teach those soft skills. So what do you think, one of the things that's underinvested in the career college sector, that, that if resourced better, uh, if governments, if employers looked at it more importantly, what would reap huge dividends for employees? It's going to sound weird uh, because you usually don't think of career colleges in this, in this mindset, but the research aspect. Uh, we don't do active research. You don't see career colleges with huge laboratories set up that are doing assays, trying to find out what the next cure for some, God, God forbid, another uh, pandemic coming around. But what you do see career colleges doing on a regular, regular basis that if you had more investment and more attention paid to this is they actually research how they teach the programs. What's the most effective way for them to get their their ideas, their skills, their techniques across to their students? If you had employers looking at those those aspects, researching on what the, the career college sector is able to do and what regulated career colleges do, I would argue on a daily basis when they're evaluating not just their students that you see on a regular uh, education basis where instructor evaluates a student, but the, the schools themselves are, are constantly, constantly self-evaluating their own and they're looking at how can we do something better? And for a lot of people, they may be thinking, well, that's just because they want to get their a bigger bottom line. But that's not the case at all with a career college. They're looking at it. How can we do things better so that we can train more people, make sure that they retain their skills in a lot more efficient and, and effective manner and prepare them for not just jobs of today, uh, but but the challenges that they're going to be facing tomorrow. So I would say the research. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I hadn't thought of it that way. We just spent a couple of a couple of weeks ago, we spent some time together in, in uh, well, we, you and I didn't, but I spent time with about 150 career college representatives out in Calgary. Interesting conversation about co-opetition and cooperation and how to work better together and learn from each other and get better at online learning, get better at dealing with mental health issues in the, in the workplace, uh, diversity, inclusion. It was quite an interesting couple of days together. And I, I saw that in, in real life. You wouldn't maybe call it research what we were doing, but that's what they were doing. They were researching from each other. That's exactly what research is, is looking at examples and looking at the experiments, if you will. Let's make this fully academic. We'll look at the experiments that other uh, operators and other schools have been doing and see what their successes are and see what their failures are and try to improve on those experiments so that you can get the best result possible. That's research at its very uh, core. So you've become uh, very quickly a, a huge advocate of the career college sector uh, in, oh, yeah. in Ontario, you, you had experience before being on the political side. Um, a lot of people don't know who we are. They think we're community colleges. We think we're, uh, as we're often called, you know, fly by night, side of the road. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your own members? Go on a riff because we, we fight this fight every day. We're proud of who we represent, but, but tell the story. 
we we've been around since the late 1800s. Uh, it's it's something that I didn't even know when I first entered into this this area or this sector is that career colleges have one of the oldest histories in post secondary education in Canada. It's vocational training at its finest. You had millwrights in cities. Uh, you had uh, or towns. You had uh, cobblers. You had all of these different vocations, these different professions. They had to learn from somewhere. Career colleges is where it really got started. And nobody actually called it a career college. They just called it job training. Uh, and job training is exactly what the career college sector does is I, I've always looked at post-secondary education as a continuum. And you have uh, uh, universities where you go to learn how to think. You have a college where you go to learn how to do. And then you have a career college where you go to learn how to work. And you need all of these to work together. And if you can have them all working together, you have a real comprehensive post-secondary uh, educational system. Career colleges fill a void that you don't really see with the other pillars of post-secondary. They're teaching students and they're teaching learners that already come with a lot of skills behind them. But they're teaching them how to take those skills, focus them on a very specialized area and, and succeed in that. And these areas are ones that are in need and in high demand now. What we don't see publicly there's enough conversation about how well community colleges, career colleges, and universities actually work together on a daily basis. Uh, I, I've got some great examples in smaller communities like in Newfoundland and Labrador, where, where Key and College and Academy Canada, our two main members, work hand-in-hand -hand with the College of the North Memorial University. They break up their work and they get to it. It's easier to do in a small community. They figure out what's to get, get what's needed in the community and they dive in. But we see that in Ontario as well, don't we? You see that in some extent in Ontario with the uh, private career public partnerships. And I think a lot of successes with that because it does give students an opportunity to get educations, uh, education in Canada and education in Ontario and that, ex that experience that a lot of people are seeking. Um, we, we are looking at increasing partnerships with the university sector. And we're also looking at partnering with a very uh, often forgotten sector, which is our Indigenous institutes, of which Ontario has nine of them. And these are these are a group of uh, students or a group of learners that unfortunately often fly under the radar that the the, the community colleges and the uh, universities don't necessarily uh, attract and see the, the value of working with. You've done some interesting research. So we've talked more about mentoring and skills development on other calls, but I think it's important on the podcast. It, it's important to have a conversation about what your students look like. Because when I looked at the survey that Career Colleges Ontario did, I got a really different perspective. And then as I spread out across the country talking to other associations of ours that we work with, it was very similar. So tell me what what's a similar what's a what's a standard student look like to you in one of our in one of your members' colleges? Well, most of them come with already uh, post secondary educational experience. Most of them are coming with uh, a dependence at home. Um, you're looking at a lot of individuals that are over the age of uh, of 30, 30 years old uh, coming into our schools. We're dealing with a, a population that has already had careers, already had professions, or have already been in the workforce, understand what's necessary to uh, get the job done and understand what's necessary in order to be successful. They've come to our schools in order to learn those those soft skills and and also the the depth of their, their specialty uh, in order to succeed. Our students uh, are incredibly diverse in terms of their background experience, uh, but also what their home life is like and, and what their future goals are as well. So I would say uh, our background or the, the, the 
um, stereotypes that are necessarily used uh, by media and and the public on what a career college student is, it's not necessarily that accurate. Uh, we don't have a huge uh, international student population. We don't have a huge uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, but all the articles, all, everything we read says that we're have hundreds of thousands of them in our institutions across Canada. Are you telling me that might not be accurate? Well, in Ontario, at the very least, we have about 86,000 students studying in career colleges. Um, if we had 100,000 international students, I don't know where they are. Uh, the, these are, like, you're looking at probably about 10,000 international students in the, in the career college proper sector in Ontario. If you incorporate the private career public partnership, these are questions that need to be really directed towards the the public institutions because they're the ones who are handling all that enrollment. Um, what we're doing is we're educating the students that are coming into Ontario, ensuring that they have the highest quality education that will set them up for success when they hit the job front. So one of the things we do well, and it's becoming a bit of an advertisement, but I've seen it, you've seen it, the small class sizes, the agile, the uh, staff that move quickly, that adjust, uh, and, and do incredible things. That's actually really, really well organized, I guess, for the types of students you get, single parents where they need flexibility, um, people with children and dependents that need to go online and do different things. So talk a little bit about what went on in Ontario during COVID with the move to online learning and some of the opportunities that's created for the long term. Well, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but online learning was going to be the worst thing that's ever hit education in, in the world. And then the pandemic hit. And then online education was the best thing and, and was a gift from the gods to, to be able to deliver proper education to students and make sure that people were going to be able to succeed and thrive even during a, a, a global lockdown. The career college sector were was the first uh, sector or the first pillar in post-secondary education in Ontario to be able to pivot fully into an online delivery mode. Um, the the ability for, for career college operators to take the tools that they use on a regular basis, say to their students, you're now going to log into this portal to have your class taught by Zoom or any other mode like that, uh, was an easy, easy switch for them. The infrastructure was already there. The faculty was already quite willing to do something like that because they already were doing this in a lot of cases when they were doing either uh, dual hybrid uh, delivery or or other sorts of uh, 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 modality of, of, of um, program delivery. And it really wasn't difficult for these schools to make that transition. What I noticed when I was on the other side of the fence and working for government is there was a lot more resistance coming from the public sector to be able to do this. We heard time and time again in the government side that this wasn't possible. You can't, you cannot teach these courses without having students sitting in the lecture halls. It, you just can't do it. And you need to have large lecture halls in order to do it. How are we going to address all these student concerns and these questions that come in? Well, there's wonderful things called chat functions now. This is something that our schools already knew how to use because they use user groups. They use chat groups already to communicate with their students. So this was a seamless evolution for them and something that, I'll be honest, I think they really uh, are leaning heavily into even now that you have a lot of uh, people that are returning into the workforce and returning to the classrooms. Well, you know, we're both in conversations daily with colleges about the right balance and getting that right interaction with the students face-to-face, -face, 
dealing with mental health issues with students when they're online only trying to find that sense of community. And we know they're working really hard at that kind of stuff. So let me, let me pivot here. Um, your own career. Um, we talk about skills development and some of them you get through learning, some of them you get through working, some of them you get through living. What's the biggest skill that you've developed in your career that you think has benefited you other than listening? Cause we talked about that, but there's something else you've done that's taken you places that you never thought you'd go. It's a great question. Well, I stumped you. Oh, you certainly did. Um, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, take, maybe I'll take a shot watching the world. Ease of communication. Yeah. You're very at ease just communicating. That doesn't come naturally to everybody. Did it come naturally to you? No, not at all. Uh, it was, um, I learned how to do the how to talk basically from having to advocate for myself as a student growing up. Like that's the the honest truth of it is I learned very early on in my academic life, probably going back to high school in Ontario, if I didn't advocate for myself because I was a student with learning disability, and this is when students with learning disabilities were just sort of put in a corner and yeah, we'll deal with you guys later or we'll have more tutors or whatever you didn't advocate for yourself, you sort of just get forgotten and left behind. Um, that's something I'll be honest, I see that on a daily, daily basis with the students that we see in career colleges is their sense of advocacy. I have not once seen one student coming from a career college who was not afraid to come up and talk to me. I'm not an intimidating person. But that takes a real uh, skill set to, to say, I'm, I'm a student, I'm going to go and talk up to this CEO guy. Uh, and see what he has to say. And I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. I think that's probably one of the most powerful things is saying what's on your mind. Uh, I try to do that on a regular basis in my in my life and in my career. I see that with a lot of our students that I interact with on on a regular basis. Um, and, and I think that's that's something that more and more people need to start doing is advocate for yourselves. So somebody asked me the same question the other day about the greatest skill I've developed in my career. And I said, I talked to people on airplanes and they looked at me funny. I said, I talked to people sitting at the bar in a hotel. I'll often, instead of working in my room, I'll get my laptop and I'll sit at the bar and have a sandwich and do my work and I'll end up talking to somebody. So it's very similar to what you're saying. It's this bridge that gap, open the door to somebody. You never know where it's going to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, uh, we both get the pleasure of, of spending some time with Dan Gingas. Uh, who I interviewed uh, last week on the podcast. And he talked a little bit about his his own career path. It was interesting because we spent some time in Kansas City with him and uh, we were talking about many, many similar issues. So yeah. let, let me let me go back to the to the sector we work in because it's an opportunity for me to talk about the stuff we do every day and, and that doesn't happen all the time. Um, we're not in the mainstream <coughs> conversation of higher education. A lot of people wouldn't consider us in higher education. Uh, I do. I've learned that. I've become passionate about it. So what do, you th what do you think would surprise people the most about career colleges in Ontario or career colleges in general, that they wouldn't think of our sector? When I started in post-secondary in government, my understanding of a career college was DeVry. They were serious about success. And it was people sitting in a room all together on fold-out tables with CRT screens typing with a blue background and yellow text. 
That's what I thought of a career college. I went and did a tour of a career college when I started working in the premier, uh, sorry, in the minister's office uh, as the chief of staff there. Um, I had my hands in my pocket the entire time because I was terrified if I touched something, I would break it. And the stuff that was in the these these colleges, these schools, looked so high tech and so valuable and expensive that I was just in awe that, what do you mean you have something like that? I've only seen that on CSI. You have like a mass spectrometer type of thing. Oh yeah, I can tell us what, what scent this is in this perfume and what ingredients go into making it. Well, what do you mean you have some, why would you, because we teach a course on that. That's what I learned about a career college is these are not fly by night schools. These are schools that invest hundreds and thousands, if not millions upon millions of dollars into their own operations to ensure that they're not training their students with the technology that's being used today. They're training their students on technology that's used tomorrow or that hasn't been released yet to the marketplace because the, the, uh, manufacturers are calling them up and saying, we're about to release this out to the to the industrial market for them to start using in their production. Can you start training students on it so that they know what they're going to be doing? That's what a career college is, is it's training students for the challenges that they're going to see tomorrow for the jobs of today. And, and I think that's something that if everybody could do a tour of a career college and see what I've seen in them, I can promise you there's not going to be any misconceptions about what we are and what we're not. For me, it's the closeness to employers. It's the fact that there's often someone uh, from the truck company, from the institution looking for cybersecurity people who's directly involved in building the program, building the curriculum, teaching the program in many cases, doing the practical hands-on work alongside with the students as well. So for me, then somebody asked me that question. That was my answer, was just that closeness to the, the employment community, the business community that's going to take those people on when they graduate, which is a huge benefit of people coming out of our sector is they've already got a career path. They've already got an opportunity yeah. laid up for them. So, well, I, I did a tour of a I'll – I'll just go on for one more second. Mm -hmm. uh, but like I did a tour of a uh, welding school called WeldTech. And at WeldTech, they had this tool that let you use virtual reality to practice your to practice your uh, welding techniques. And one thing that I thought was absolutely amazing is while I'm standing over there practicing or trying to do this, one of the instructors walks by and he goes, I'd never hire you on my rig. I got five students out there. I just gave them a job offer. They're finishing their course in three weeks. And I said, wait, wait, what do you mean? Don't you work here? He's like, yeah, I work here two days a week, but I also have a full-time job that I'm working and I need people to come and work for me. I might as well train my crew right here and then hire them off the floor. Yeah. I don't see that happening at any of their schools. No, I, I'm with you too. What, what, explain the average course. What, what are the courses career colleges teach? Every like you're you're gonna see some things in there that you just wouldn't see at a at a at a, uh, a community college. You'll see cloud computing in um, uh, and coding. You're gonna see cybersecurity and focusing on the banking sector and medical sector. You'll see things that to get away from the IT side of stuff. You'll see uh, uh, personal support workers that are pairing up with uh, home care workers. You're going to see courses in there that are actually relevant to the challenges that we're facing today. 
you walk around the streets in any city that you're at and you ask yourself, well, where did that person go to school? I can promise you that probably about half of the people that you're interacting with on a daily basis had vocational training at a career college or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm blown away by the amount of time as I talk to students who've gone through an aesthetics program, a PSW program, a trucking program, and they're talking about what their career path looks like. And, and there was one I met out in New Brunswick who, who chatting away, he worked at Tim Hortons. He thought he was going to work at Tim Hortons his whole life. But he has talked to him going to the truck training program, went to that. Now he's making over $100,000 a year driving around North America, loving his life. Absolutely loving his life. Never thought he'd do that. Like just the kind of experiences that are out there for people. And it's amazing how many people just need to be aware of it and can go pursue it. And that's what career colleges are doing is that they are giving people another option. They're giving people a pathway to a real career. So let, let's finish strong here. Uh, other than me, uh, in your career, who's been that that mentor, that 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 great educator, that someone that's been there for you and had that impact on your life that, that goes beyond <laughs> anything that you ever expected? Well, besides yourself, of course, Michael. Uh, I, I, I honestly, and this, I was thinking about this when we were chatting uh, earlier about it. Um, it, it, I would say my first employer in politics, Peter Sherman, uh, taught me so many lessons about what you do, what you don't do, and how to go about, uh, representing people that you, that you are supposed to represent. Um, he taught me a really valuable lesson. There's no politician or party that wakes up in the morning and says, how can we make this jurisdiction into a worse place? Everybody wakes up with the same idea is how can we make this into a better place than when we than it was when we arrived? And by by working with Peter for about uh, four years, it uh, or five years, it it you learn a lot of stuff from somebody like that. So I would say, besides yourself, I would say Peter Sherman. A little humor at the end of the podcast. Um, <laughs> he sounds like a class act. I think we've all had a few of those people in our lives, and it's interesting you touch on that because that's one of the things that's missing in Ottawa now. That 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 um, ability to kind of respect each other and look at each other on Parliament Hill once in a while and understand that the person across from you, you don't agree with each other every day, but that doesn't mean you're a bad person. No, and I think that that sort of political discourse is missing everywhere yeah. these days, yeah, and, which is truly unfortunate. And it's needed. So before we wrap up, any last messages, anything that you want to just kind of deliver? And I was thinking along lines maybe, put you on the spot again for one last question. You're a student. That's a student looking to a career college or looking to go back and pursue a dream. Why a career college? What's your dream? Pick your pick your dream and pick your course. That that's why you have a Sears catalog, if you will, of courses that you could take. And listen, I I've thought about going in into culinary school. Why not? Where would I go? I'd probably be going to a career college like Le Cordon Bleu. Uh, and, and you can you can basically choose your own adventure from that. That's that's an awesome answer. That's that's a great institution too here in Ottawa. Won an award last year. One of our members, but won an award as the top culinary school in North America. That's a career college here. That's a myth buster for people. That's a career college right here in the nation's capital, uh, doing amazing things and a great place to go eat. 
it's nice to see there. I think they're opening up the restaurant again finally, which is nice. It used to be an institution, a stable in town. So a staple in town. So uh, Ari, thank you. Always a little fun going back and forth, but it was also kind of fun to go into our sector a little bit more, dive a little deeper into some stuff because while we neither one of us came from this sector or worked in it a couple of years ago, um, the one comment I hear from from our, our members is just the, the passion we both found for it, for the work that they members do, whether it's a, a small college teaching 12 or 15 PSW students every year to uh, Herzing College or, or Trios College in Ontario that's just doing amazing things. Um, so it, it, it's, it's great to hear from you. Uh, great to chat with you and uh, look forward to seeing you soon in person. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ed Up Canada podcast. We release new episodes regularly, so make sure you hit that subscribe button so you know when they are officially out. If you love this episode, please leave a four or five star review wherever you listen to your podcasts so that others can also discover how a set of skills can lead to success. Thanks for learning with us.